I want to welcome you this morning and uh, thank you. I uh, hope you've really come expecting God to speak. We are working our way through uh, the book of Ephesians and we're exploring many themes and many ideas that are going on. Last week I spoke to you very clearly about change your view. And maybe what you need to do is understand that what God wants to do in the way God wants to work, he wants to change your view. And we did that as we thought about how the Father has chosen us, he has loved us, he has adopted us. We also thought about this in terms of, wow, that Christ has forgiven us and the Holy Spirit has sealed us with his presence. If you weren't able to be here last week to uh, listen to last week's sermon, can I encourage you to, to log on and to watch that and just start to get in the journey as we move through an amazing book of, uh, of Ephesians. Maybe you're new here and you are a new Christian and you are really wondering or maybe you just turned up here and you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian and you're wondering about what we're actually trying to describe. This morning what I want you to do is to understand the deeper side of Paul's prayer. Now if you're like me, prayer has been quite a journey. At times, prayer has been exciting. At times, I've had to really lean in and learn. When you're new to the Christian faith or you're trying to understand the Christian faith, let me just say to some of you that that prayer is critical for you to engage with the living God in a relationship with Christ. It's through prayer. Prayer is critical. Prayer is the key. Prayer is the engine that keeps the relationship moving. Prayer is wonderful. Now, if you're like me, I had to learn how to pray. I didn't understand how to pray. I'd go to prayer meetings and I'd sit there and I'd say to people, as a young convert to Christianity, the son of an atheist, three generations of pagans, and there I suddenly was a Christian, and I say, how do you pray? Well, what do you, I ask questions like this. Well, what do you pray at the end of a prayer? Because I've listened to you and you say all kinds of different things. First of all, you start your prayers off differently. Dear Heavenly Father or dear Jesus or dear God. I mean, I'm confused. And then it's like, do I finish in the name of Jesus? Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ? Amen, amen, amen. Or do I finish? How do I finish? It's confusing, isn't it? For those of you raised in church, it's not confusing at all because you know the language. For those of you who are here and you haven't been raised in church, it is confusing to know what to do, when to stand, what's going on, what, and I get that more than you know. So stick with me this morning if that's you. But the one thing in my life I realized is that prayer had to be learnt. I had to engage in prayer. I had to be willing to walk on the journey of prayer. And I noticed that, that it's something that is learned and something that is practiced and something that is developed. And Willow Park Church is on a journey of not just being a church that talks about prayer, but at the heart of who we are. We want prayer to be the focus of who we are in our walk with God. And and I, I've been to lots of prayer meetings. I got converted into a Plymouth Brethren Church. And we used to go and we used to, you know, to be honest, can I be honest for a moment? 
the prayer meeting at times seemed like the most boring meeting of the whole church calendar. Now, I know that's not true maybe for you. But you know, I, it, was, it was just dull. It was dull. It was hard work. And I'd sit there and there were dull prayer meetings and it felt more like a dentist waiting room than it did anything else. And it was tough. And I thought about this and this is the greatest lie that the enemy has thrown our way. That prayer is dull, that prayer is boring and that prayer is dull. Because actually that's what the enemy wants us to believe. But, but in truth, what prayer is, prayer should be dynamic. Prayer is a relationship. Prayer is learned and we enter into this journey and prayer should be the fuel at the center of our lives because there is nothing better than entering to a prayerful relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's what we need to work towards. And I've discovered that actually there is a prayer deficiency in church life. Lots of mentoring goes on. It's great. I've noticed amongst men particularly, you will mentor each other. You will have coffee together. I talk about mentorship. They will have coffee. They will talk about issues in life. They will talk about biblical truth. But often it's very weak in the area of actually spending time in prayer. And I believe this breaks God's heart because what I've discovered is that the real power of mentorship is when I actually take somebody and I walk with them and I pray with them for an hour and that breaks and does more than actually my informed opinion for an hour. An hour of prayer makes a massive difference. So we need to understand that prayer is a challenge. And for me, it's been on that journey of challenge. It's been, a, and you may feel that as well. You may feel a disconnect with prayer. You may find it hard with prayer. You may find that it's difficult with prayer. And the Apostle Paul here in these verses, what he really wants to do is he wants to ignite our thinking. And in his very words, as he starts to pray the words that we've read this morning, you can feel the heart of the apostle. You can feel his strength. You can feel God's power at work and moving and working. It is immense. It is magnificent and it is powerful. So let's jump into the text here. Bit of background. Verse 15. Here Paul is of course writing a letter to the uh, Ephesians. In fact, it probably wasn't just for the Ephesians. It was a chain letter that was passed all around. It was received to all the churches in the region. It would have been read. They would have been excited. They would have opened it. They would have read it aloud. They would have read the first bit of the first part about his prayer, about the Father's heart, about what Jesus achieved, about the work of the Holy Spirit. And you can see these, these believers nodding and reading. It's been four years since they've seen the Apostle Paul. Communication has been sent around by a boat. This letter probably arrived from Rome via a boat and the network and they would have been there. And he starts to move in at verse 15 as we call it. In the Greek, this 
is 164 words continuously. There's no full stops. It's like Paul takes a deep breath and he prays these things. Think about that. We play a little game as a family when we go on long journeys, particularly when we're driving through Europe, but also on the road to Vancouver, that when we go through a tunnel, I say, okay, kids, hold your breath. We're entering a tunnel. And they go, and we go through the tunnel. Yes. I don't know if you play that game with your kids. It's great fun, particularly when you're in control of the gas. And as I'm going through, I'm slowing down and down and down. down. And they're all, they're all passing out from lack of oxygen. And Paul is doing this, but in the opposite. It's like he's gone through the first part of the prayer. He's taken a deep breath. And now, without a breath, without a flinch, he's going to pray and share with them some things that he feels he doesn't want to be interrupted. Get this. Get into this. This is what I want to share. And when you get this prayer, it is going to change your life. Wow. That's the apostle. So where does he start? Well, very simply, he's clearly starting in his prison cell and he is on his knees. But the first verses we see as he's on his knees with those first verses, he is praying out of an immense heart of love for this church. He starts to pray, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Listen to the apostle. You can see him on his knees. You can see him looking at the prison cell, but his heart is exploding with love for the church of God. And he has not stopped thanking. He has not stopped praising. He has not stopped glorifying God. This is the heart. This is the way. We can learn a lot from this because there's a lot of church haters out there. There's a lot of people that want to deconstruct the bride of Christ. But let me remind you, the apostle loved the church and we should love the church because the church is the hope of the world because it carries the gospel of truth for the salvation of of the nations. That's where his heart is. He's in no doubt. His heart is bursting. Now imagine if you have the Apostle Paul round to your house for dinner. Have you ever imagined that? <laughs> no. But imagine you do. And you have the Apostle Paul round to your house for dinner. What is the Apostle Paul going to be impressed with you? At dinner. Well, he may walk into your house. You have beautiful houses, no doubt. I have a beautiful house in Upper Rutland. And you walk in and he looks around. And will he be impressed with your house? He might think that's nice, although he's not so much into houses. He's more into tents. So you may want to chat to him about your new tent, the new technology, the new... Will he be impressed with the car on your... On your, on your driveway, he may be a bit bemused by the car on your driveway, wondering maybe how you link the horse up to the front of it and what you do with it. But you know what will impress an apostle if you have him over for Sunday lunch? He actually tells you here. 
What is it? Look at that verse. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the love for the people of God. That's what he gives thanks for. That there's a group of people who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is thanking that this people have faith. And his question would be, hang about, how is your faith in Jesus? I imagine he would be quite direct. And, and if you pass the faith test, how is your faith in the Lord Jesus? The second question is this, how much do you love the people of God in the church? This is what impresses an apostle. This is what's on the apostle's mind. He's not bothered about other things. He wants to know that there is a bride who is utterly and committed to Christ and whose faith in Christ is strong and is powerful. And he wants them to know that they love each other and that they care for each other. He wants them to make sure that they have faith and love in the right place. And so he takes them in on this journey. And then what does he use? He uses amazing words. He starts to say, this is what I'm praying for you. I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit. Spirit of what? The spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Everything in his prayer is about knowing Jesus better. And how does he say that you will know Jesus better? It comes by the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was always connected with wisdom. God's wisdom that would come. And this is a theme that runs through his writing. That we mustn't rely upon knowledge and knowing about God. We mustn't rely upon our own understanding and our own intellect. But what we must understand and what the apostle is praying for is that there will be a group of people that rely on the spirit and they will see the wisdom and the revelation of God for themselves. When's the last time you had a revelation? When was the last time you had a moment of God's wisdom? When was the last time the Lord spoke to you in wisdom and in revelation? Because that's exactly what he wants to do in our lives. He wants to speak to us in wisdom and in revelation. You say, but what does this mean? What is the Paul trying to explain? What is revelation? And that's for you, if you're a visitor or not a Christian, it may seem hard to understand what he's trying to communicate. When I was a young boy, my dad had telescopes in our home. We've got a telescope at our own home here in, in, in Kelowna. But I remember finding my dad late at night in the back garden with a massive brass uh, telescope. This was gorgeous. It was massive. It was heavy. I could barely carry it as a small boy. It was impossible. And I would find him on a clear night looking at the stars. And I remember vividly walking out and, and being with dad and standing there. And all I would look up and see was like a sea of blurred stars that were existing. And then he'd say to me, look here. And I remember it vividly. And I'd look through that little lens and he'd say, 
There is Mars rising there. And we'd look at Mars and instead of it being a distant little star, suddenly it came into focus and I saw the outline, the dim outline of of a planet, of a blazing planet in the sky. It was incredible. And then he would turn it around on those nights when the moon was full as it was last night. And, And you look down and he would show me the craters. He would show me the valley. He would show me the mountains on the moon. I loved it. It was amazing. When I looked at the stars in my own eyes, you know all that I saw? All I saw was a blurred mass of stars. And I didn't know what they were. There was no definition. There was no clarity. There was no understanding. And here what Paul is saying is, I don't want you to just look at the blurredness of God. I want to speak to you in Revelation when you receive Revelation. Revelation, it's that which is distant suddenly becomes close and you see the definition of who God really is. Come on, how many of us would love that in our lives? That we need a moment when we have the clarity and we look through the telescope and we see the definition. I could see the very movement of the mountains. It was like I was even flying across the moon landscape at that moment. God, what Paul is praying for his church is that you would receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And that you would see it. I, uh, I tried to recreate this uh, unsuccessfully with my iPad. Because I downloaded an app that gives you all the stars at night. And you can take it out and lift your iPad up. And, and you can see stars there and there. And then the iPad tells you the names of the stars. And where it all is. And it even plays a little kind of starry music. And you are lying there on, the, on your back and you're looking up and you're going, oh look, there's Jupiter and there's Saturn and there's the Hubble telescope and the music's playing. There is a problem with this though, that it hasn't been clear once since I downloaded the app, right? Kelowna. It's just been, last night wasn't too bad, but it's blurred. God does not want you just to have nice music and your sight to be blurred. God wants you to have a spirit of revelation and of wisdom and understand. In the Old Testament, this was a great prayer. In fact, there are so many scriptures, numerous scriptures about opening the eyes of your heart. And that may be enlightened in order that you may know it fills the Old Testament that the prayer of a pious Jew and a pious Jew would pray for two hours a day. And there's no reason why Paul wasn't praying for two hours and longer every day would that they would continuously pray. Let the eyes of my heart be opened. Let me see it. It captures, if you like, Psalm 119 verse 8, where it talks about how the wonder of the Lord and how his glorious law is enlightened to us and his word is there. And suddenly God works and you see it. This was a great prayer of the ancient world and it should be a prayer of our world as well. 
That in every area of our life, we want to see Jesus more. We want to have that clarity. We want what is far off, God himself to become close. And we want a fresh revelation of who God is and what God is doing in our lives. Well, how do you get a fresh revelation? Thought about that. Well, I think first of all, it starts with the presence that we are willing to sit in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. His presence, his spirit. But you know, uh, it also is to do with the way that we treat the word of God and we allow the word of God to wash over our lives. That we allow the word of God to speak to us. That we allow the word of God to minister. And I was chatting to Michelle about this as we were, I was preparing and I'd been kind of praying for quite a while. And I came, I said, what? how do you get revelation? How do you see revelation really working in your life? She kind of looked at me and we talked about it for a bit. And then she said, well, what I've discovered is, is that I have to seek God, yes, with the Spirit, with his presence. But then I have to pick up the word of God and I have to read it. And I read the word of God until the light goes on. And sometimes this is where we are failing. I went, yes. That when we're looking for a closer revelation, when we're looking for spirit's wisdom, when we're looking for what God is doing, we've got to be willing to pour ourselves into the word of God, to read it, to read it, to read it, until boom, the light goes on. And what Paul wants is the light to go on in the life of the Ephesians. What he wants them to understand is their mighty heritage. What he wants them to understand is that the most important event in principalities and powers, they may have magistrates in the Roman Empire. They may have kings. They may have emperors. They may have gods and goddesses. But it does not compare at all to one truth, one great truth, that the greatest event in the whole of the cosmos was the fact that Jesus Christ, Christ rose from the grave on the third day. And he wants this church to wake up with all the political problems, with all the pressures in the empire, with Ephesus being the mighty Roman city. He's saying, forget all of that. There is one God, one Lord who has ascended to heaven, has seated the right hand of God and on one day will return. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the same power that caused Christ to ascend into heaven, the same power by which he takes authority over all darkness and all the enemies of God. And the same power uh, raised Christ from the dead should dwell within the church of Christ. That's what he's saying. He's saying, come on, wake up. Don't you realize? Let's look at this. He's saying, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him. To be head over everything for the church. He appointed him. He he, he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms. Far above all rulers, all authorities, all powers, all dominion. Every name that is involved. Not only in this present age, but also the one to 
come. He's saying, I need you, church, to get a fresh revelation of the immenseness and the power and what God achieved for the world and for the kingdom and that you have the same spirit at work in every one of you. Come on, get in that telescope and start to see things different. Start to understand. Wouldn't that change the way you prayed, my friends? If you came to prayer and you started off by praising God for the unstoppable power of the risen Christ, wouldn't your prayers change if you had a vision That in the glories of heaven, all enemies, all authorities have been defeated. That you actually spoke out the fact that Christ is supreme. That Christ is the Lord. That Christ is the King. That he has conquered sin and death. That you actually engaged and believed that the great orthodoxy, the great truth of the Christian faith is for you and that who you have been adopted into and the same spirit that did all of this for the cosmos dwells and lives within you. Wouldn't that change your prayer life? Well, we need a revelation, don't we? We need to get on that and see that. We need the light bulb to go on. We need to learn how to pray. Paul starts off with praise. He moves on to declaring the greatness of God. See, theology is good when theology drives us to our needs to confess the greatness of who God is. If theology is just knowledge and you believe it, but you're not letting it dwell within the very person you are, then it's meaningless to you. Let it come as a revelation. Let it come as a wisdom. Three things Paul is really pointing out. They may surprise you. You can take from this text. He's really pointing out, of course, before I get into three things, that we are part of a far bigger plan. And that there will be coming age when he will return and everything will be put right. And although we're between ages, he's, he loves this whole subject. The age to come will come and God's judgment will come and God will put all things right. And the bodies will rise and we will be renewed and the same body that Christ has, we will have. It's just immense, gorgeous theology. But what does it all tell me? Three things. Number one, and you may find this difficult, but I hope not. Number one is this, that you are important to God. What we learn from this passage is know how important we are in God's sight. You are important to God. He's encouraging this church to wake up to the immensity and the power and the reality of how vast God is and how much Christ achieved. And therefore, why did in earth did God do all of this? He did it because you are important to him. 
Shake off whatever you've got on going on in your life and wake up in the morning and declare, I am a child of God. I am adopted. I am chosen. I am loved. And actually, I am important to God. And the greatest title you can have on your life is the word Christian, Christ follower, because Christ has chosen you. He has redeemed you. He has saved you. And it's not a time to back away. It's a time to know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Amen. It's hard to think that I've been, I've been taken from this position and God deems me important in the love of Christ and cares for me. But you are important to God. How can I explain this? Hmm. I got a phone call in England. And I was a young pastor, quite poor. I drove a little white Rover car that um, would fall to pieces. And my friend is studying theology at Oxford. He's Canadian and he's from Saskatchewan. He's an old friend of mine. He's now a bishop, believe that. Wow. Amazing. And he phones me up and he says, Phil, I said, yes. He said, I've got tickets for Wimbledon. Center court. Do you want these tickets? Come with me. I said, yes, of course. And if you're into tennis, I know, thank you for your kindness about Andy Murray. But, and the Australian Open. I said, I'd love to come. He said, I just have to say one thing to you. You need to dress up really well. I said, okay. He said, I've got these tickets. So I said, all right. So I drove down to Oxford. He jumped in the car. He said, I've got no money. I've got no resources. You've got a car. You've got petrol. And will you buy me a little bit of lunch? And I'll give you this ticket at the centre court to watch Boris Becker and Stefan Egberg play. I said, yes. So we arrived there, we walked in, strawberries at Wimbledon, fantastic. We bought some strawberries, it cost me about $1,500 and stood there and he said, now I've got to tell you something. I said, what? These tickets were given to me off a member of the British royal family who's studying at my college. I said, oh, which one? He said, I can't say. He said, but actually he gave them me And he said, you're going to have to sit in the royal enclosure and in the royal box. I said, really? He said, yes. So we have to stay cool. We have to be calm. And never talk to anybody if there's anybody in that box. Because you never know who's going to be there. I said, I can do that. Packed, packed center court. I walked in with him. He's tall. He was wearing his Oxford tie. I was wearing my tie. And I walked in and I sat down and the box didn't have anybody in. But I noticed that about 5,000 people looked at us at that moment. I, I felt, felt good. And I looked around. I didn't know what to do. He said, stay cool. So we stayed cool. Photographers turned around and took a few photographs of us. And I kind of wanted to go. (laughs) 
It felt uncomfortable. It was amazing. I had the best seats in the house. It was a miraculous thing as a two theological students were in a royal enclosure and we felt we shouldn't be there, but it was immense. And you know what? That is exactly you and I. We have had the phone call from heaven and God has taken us and he has placed us in the royal enclosure. You are a son. You are a daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords and you are important to God. Second thing is, you can be secure in him. Know how secure we are in Christ. That the, the, the Ephesians would see how secure they were in Christ. This serves as an encouragement of our salvation. That sin can be conquered in our lives. But also as a correct against self-righteousness. We are secure in the utter love of Christ. You are loved. You are important to God. And you are secure. And finally is that word. You are utterly and completely loved by God. Know how he loved, how loved we are. Know how much he cares for us. Know how much he's interested in us. Would those three things change your prayer life? You may feel unimportant and irrelevant, but in God's eyes, in the eyes of the age to come, in the eyes of what has been achieved in the cosmos, in what Christ has done by raising and ascending, and he will come again, you are incredibly important. Maybe if you looked in the mirror and said, I am important, I am loved, and I'm secure because Christ loves me, it will change the way you pray, it will change the way you believe, it will change that moment when you need a fresh revelation. Pour yourself into this prayer and understand that real success and real significance comes by having a fresh revelation, the eyes of wisdom, seeing things you've never seen. When I get a fresh revelation... It ignites my faith. When I get a fresh revelation and I see things differently, it makes me want to serve Christ more. When God speaks to me at the core of who I am, it changes everything about my life. How hungry are you for a fresh word from heaven? A fresh revelation. How desperate are you? It's time to dig in. It's time to pray through. It's time to read that Bible. It's time to lean on the Holy Spirit until the light goes on. Because you've been in the dark too long. And the apostle prayed this for the church and he prays it for us as well. And what a perfect moment for the light to go on now as we break bread together. Let's pause.